You're listening to the Can't Wait Podcast with Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Can't wait! We've got the third waiver claim, and uh, we plan on using it, so uh, we're fired up. Yeah, we're fired up as well. That was Joe Douglas before the waivers, so he was excited to get to make some big picks, and he certainly did that. I'm Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. September 3rd, it is Tuesday morning, and it is a real regular season game week here on Can't Wait. Um, Plenty of stuff to be excited about. We're going to get into that waiver stuff, but I think we have a more pressing matter, Connor, that we have to talk about before (laughs) that. And that is Beardgate, because Adam Gase shows up at practice for the first real game, first regular season game as Jets head coach, and he shaved, and the fan base is not happy. Uh, no, no, the fan base isn't happy, and I don't think that Adam's actually all that happy. You know, that was uh, what we talked about, or we talked to him about a little bit during the uh, the press conference yesterday, and and he made it clear that it was kind of a spur of the moment decision. I think you know he he woke up, and at some point he looked in the mirror and was like, you know what? I think it's time to shave. I need to shave. And then he did it. And it was one of those things where as soon as you do something and then you're instant, like the instant instantaneous regret, because you can tell he's not too happy. So I think that that beard, uh, you can already see the five o'clock shadow is starting to come in. Uh, I think he's going to let that one grow back. Brian winners confirmed that later in the locker room too, that he gave the coach, uh, gave the coach a little bit of some backlash for shaving. Cause Brian uh, is a guy who has a pretty big beard as well. One of the, one of the bearded jets in that locker room. And he he told Gase he's got to grow it back, and and Gase said, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. So I think it's uh, I think it's only a matter of time. The outcry on Twitter was hysterical because the the overall um, uh, I guess resounding opinion was, no, that's Dolphins Gase. We don't want that guy. <laughs> <laughs> we want the guy with the beard who's actually going to win football games. Is there you go? There uh, you go. Yeah. But anyway, back to the waivers, and we knew this was going to be a big deal. Uh, Joe Douglas had that quote, of course, about being fired up about it. And they did go out there and they made some big moves on the waiver deals. And uh, there were moves that they filled some things that needed to be dealt with and then some other ones as well. Let's get into it, though. Let's start with the kicking position. Um, It became pretty clear in that fourth preseason game that Bertolette, Taylor Bertolette, hadn't done enough there to uh, to keep the job. And sure enough, they go out and they get Kara Vedvik from the uh, Vikings, and this guy is a fascinating story. Um, originally from Norway, uh, played at Marshall, um, was with the Ravens, where he had um, well, he had some success in the preseason last year. Then had a terrible, tragic event happen to him down in Baltimore, where he got assaulted. Then this year, he's traded from the Ravens to the Vikings. And then he's waived by the Vikings after that. I mean, it's been quite a, a wild roller coaster ride for this kicker. Yeah, and it's that, that's the wild thing too, man, is that I remember when, when the I saw the claim come in for the Jets, I was like, Holy cow, that's the kid that was that's the kid that was just traded, right? Because I mean look, he yeah. there was no one whose stock was higher than his after that first preseason game where he went four for four along, I think the long was fifty five yards or something like that. I mean the guy looked like money and then you also include the fact that, that aside from the fact he's a pretty good kicker, but he could punt as well there was some thought about maybe you get this guy and you have two roster spots taken up because he can punt with the best of them and he can kick with the best of them. And and the Jets were one of the teams that when he was originally traded from the Viking or from the Ravens to the Vikings, the Jets were one of those teams that was in the mix. Uh, that was one of the things I had heard pretty early on from a couple of my sources was that the Jets were in the mix to acquire him, to acquire Vedvik. And the problem that, that came up was that the asking price simply got too high. You know, if this was a conditional sixth, 
a seventh round pick, something along those lines, the Jets probably would have pulled the trigger and said, okay, let's get our kicker. He's the guy. We're going to roll with him after Catanzaro retired. However, when that asking price got up to be a uh, fifth round pick, which is pretty astronomical for a kicker and, and, and pretty mind blowing that a kicker would generate that kind of return, especially for a guy that, that had no experience in the NFL and a guy that was kind of just a training camp in one game wonder. Joe Douglas wisely said, okay, that's that's a little steep. I'm backing off of that one. That's not something I'm going to get involved in. Well, when he goes to the Vikings, he pretty much imploded, right? I mean, it, it was a complete and utter destruction of what everything he had been doing right with the with the Vikings. It kind of fell apart. When one of four and two preseason games, I think it was 0 of three in the preseason finale, uh, he had one of his low punts returned for a touchdown, and the Vikings pretty much decided, look, we think we made a sta- mistake. The guy's not going to be our punter. We're not going to cut Dan Paley for him. So let's just cut our losses, realize we made a mistake, and, and move on. And they waved him and let him go. So the Jets kind of get a guy that they were willing to trade for for free on the waiver wire. Now, the the thing is, though, is that adding him in here is that he's not – he's got potential. Undoubtedly, un, undeniably, this guy has potential. But he doesn't necessarily have it proven yet in a game. And that as much as you're banking on him being the guy that looks so good the first preseason game – uh, for the Ravens, so good last preseason, so good in the summer leading up to that first preseason game. There's still the chance that the Vikings were the ones that tr- saw the true Vedvik and not the Ravens. So the Jets are kind of going into this regular season still with some very much, some very significant concerns at the kicker position, and that's one of the the really alarming parts about this team is that you don't really know. Now, if it if it's beneficial and it pays off, and and Vedvik's as good as as the Jets hope. Well, they're fine. It's no big deal. But if he's not, this Jets team is not complete enough to to be holding two, three, four touchdown leads the majority of this season. They are not the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not the Philadelphia Eagles. They're not some of these better, the Houston Texans to some extent. They're not that good yet. They're going to be in very, very close games. And when it comes to playing very close games, those games are usually decided, Tim, by three, two, one points, <laughs> somewhere right around there or a field goal in overtime, something like that. If you can't trust your kicker, if you have inconsistencies at the kicker position, well, you're probably not going to come up on the winning end of all of those games. So for a Jets team that knows they're going to be playing in tight ones, a Jets team that knows that that for them to make the playoffs, it's going to take a lucky bounce here or there. Uh, it, it's a it's an asterisk and certainly a, a pretty big concern that they're going into the regular season without a certainty at kicker. Yeah, I guess the the good thing is it's the best available thing they could come up with because yeah. Bertolette was yes. definitely not the guy and and this guy was available and hey they didn't give up a fifth round draft pick for him so Correct. there's that yep. too which is good when he was at Marshall by the way seventh longest punt in NCAA history 92 yards obviously that yeah, one amazing. rolled a bit I think but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, he's Jets got are a only going to use him as when, when they first claimed him, I was actually kind of I was like you know what I wonder if they would do kicker and punter and I think if they had traded for him and he had showed that much promise at punter as well, like if he had continued to show what he had showed with the Ravens, with the Jets in camp, I think there was a chance they might have rolled with him as both their kicker and their punter. But obviously, that's not the case now. They're, they have Lachlan Edwards yeah. as their punter, and he'll be their kicker. 
All right, uh, some other waiver moves. Braxton Berrios, and this one's interesting. They get him from the New England Patriots, uh, pick from last year. But I think what's more interesting about this is that you see how fragile uh, a player's status on a team can be when Greg Dortch, who had impressed so much over the course of the preseason and really looked like he was going to be in that wide receiver role where he'd be able to return some kicks for this team, suddenly the right guy shows up on the waivers and Dortch is without a job and not even on the practice squad. Yeah, Gase said that, that this was a guy that, that they had done their scouting report on and, and liked him a lot when he was actually with the Dolphins last year when he was uh, when Braxton was coming out of Miami, I believe. Yeah, he played uh, college ball in Miami. When he, when he was coming out of Miami, Gase said that they did a lot of homework on him and they liked him a lot. So they already had some, some information on that kid. They were obviously weren't able to get him with the Dolphins, but then when he hits the waiver wire, it's kind of an opportunity to, to go ahead and grab him and and this was a kid who, uh, Tim, he wasn't cut from, from the Patriots because he stunk. He wasn't cut from the Patriots because he wasn't good. Uh, the guy showed a lot of promise as a slot receiver. He showed a lot of promise as a punt returner as well. And, but then with the Patriots kind of having Josh Gordon get reinstated, Demarius Thomas, them wanting to bring him back, they kind of ran out of roster spots for him, and, and they had to let him go. And their hope was that they were going to get him through the waiver wire and put him on the practice squad and that obviously just didn't materialize because the Jets claimed him. But this is a case of, of, a, of a talented player getting caught up in the numbers game and then sneaking through in the Jets, the Jets claiming him. And, and you know, uh, the guy showed a lot of promise. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, he, I, he got hurt a little dinged up. Obviously, he missed his entire rookie season w- w- on the injured reserve because he was uh, he was hurt. Got again hurt after that second preseason game. So he missed the final two preseason games. He's healthy now, though, and will be the Jets week one punt returner. But that first preseason game when when the Patriots played the, the Lions, he caught three passes for 45 yards, and all three of those catches converted first downs. And and throughout those two preseason games, both the one against the Lions and then the, the second one against the Titans, he had five punt returns averaging 9.2 yards. Now, the difference between him, Braxton, and, and Greg Dortch is that Dortch kind of gives you a lot more home run potential, right? Is that when the ball is in his hands, he has the chance to break it 90 yards. He's going to dance around. He's going to back juke. He's going to move around. You saw that on a couple of his returns this preseason, uh, specifically the 27-yarder that he had uh, in which he made a couple guys miss. I believe it was against the Saints. Made a couple guys miss, then burst up the sideline and had himself a really good return. That's what you're going to get with with, uh, Greg Dortch. With Braxton, I don't think you're going to get as much of that. He's not necessarily your he'll, – he'll, I mean, look, if there's a lane, he'll run one back. But he's not necessarily your home run hitter, but he's wildly consistent. So on those five punt returns, right, he averaged 9.2 yards of return. His longest punt return against the Lions was 14 yards. Longest punt return against the, against the Titans was 11 yards. So what that tells you is that he's insanely consistent. He's going to get the ball in his hands. He's not going to drop anything, and he's going to get you up the field. He's going to pick up 10, 12, 13, 14 yards. Maybe if he gets to the lane, 20, 25, then he's going to set the offense up with better field position. But he's someone that you can trust back there. And I think the one thing that should not go overlooked is in that preseason finale that the Jets played, they lined Dorch up there, and it didn't cost the Jets because Dorch jumped on it, but he muffed a punt. Right, The ball went through his hands. He ended up diving back on it, but he muffed a punt. He did that a couple times in training camp as well, where he happened to muff a couple punts and and, and things kind of were like, uh, maybe his hands weren't that great, but then he always would come back and bounce back and there was no one else on the roster doing anything better. So you were like, okay, well, well maybe you've got something there with Dorch. Well, in the regular season where Adam Gase preaches ball security over everything else and, and does countless drills in practice designed for the defense on getting the ball out and the offense for holding onto the ball and not losing it, I think that might have played a role because they view Braxton as someone that they can put back there and they do not have to worry at 
all with him dropping the ball that he's going to catch everything he's gonna he's maybe doesn't have the home run potential but he also doesn't have the strikeout potential he's a single double hitter with the occasional triple and the Jets are willing to live with that on special teams now on the flip side of this obviously is you make the worry or you can say well why the heck would the Jets let their their all pro kicker and punt returner last year their kicker who was automatic and dynamite and young and their punt and kick returner who was not only the home run hitter but also reliable walk basically for free and free agency i mean yeah. that's something that you can obviously worry about and question now but you know that that's uh you know kind of uh stuff that's happened in the past you're not gonna be able to change it and so this is kind of where the jets are are at now with with uh braxton and punt returner and, and vedvik there on the uh kicks and you can't even be mad at the current team because that regime is gone and it's a new regime that's in there now. Uh, all right, a couple other waiver guys to get to. Uh, defensive lineman John Franklin Myers was actually a fourth-round pick of the Rams uh, just a year ago, had a strip sack in the Super Bowl last year, yep. played a lot of football. And then you have a safety in Bennett Jackson, who's a New Jersey guy, played at Notre Dame. Uh, he's been with the Ravens. He was originally drafted by the Giants. Um, of those two guys, Franklin Myers really stands out just because of the amount he played last year for a very good football team. Yeah, and if, if I'm not mistaken, I was I was reading about him. I think that his teammates voted him like defensive rookie of the year or rookie of the year or something like that. I mean, obviously, when you're the when you're the Rams, you're not going to have too many you know dominant rookies because of where you're drafting. You're drafting so low in, in all of the rounds that that finding a guy that contributes is a big thing. So it's not like this guy had 15 sacks last year and won it like you were, you're probably going to see Bosa do it this year, but. You know, that, that says something that his teammates think highly of him. And, and McVay called the decision to let him go difficult. You know, he was one of the guys that was a surprise cut for the Rams. And when they let him go, uh, McVay obviously had to had to answer a couple questions about it because not only did he look good as a rookie, he was playing pretty well in the preseason. You know, this is, he finished a pro football focus at these numbers. He had, you know, seven tackles, a sack, quarterback hit, five hurries, run defense. I know I don't, I don't value their grades too much, but when it comes to defensive linemen, obviously you want a better grade than a worse grade. And he had a pretty good run defense grade of 70.9 and a good pass rush grade of 68.3. That's all. Those are both above average grades uh, by PFF standards. So uh, he was a guy that played pretty well, and, and McVay called it a, a difficult decision to let him go, and, and he finished it off by, by kind of saying that it was a not necessarily a credit to what John didn't do, but quote what some player what 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 what's, excuse me yeah, I'm, I'm, I said quote and then completely butchered the quote so that's <laughs> that's ideal right uh, but he said it's not what John did do but quote but what some other players did do so this was just a numbers game and it was other guys playing and and it was I think it was a a situation where McVay viewed what he needed on his defense a little differently which unfortunately for Franklin Myers meant that he left but now the Jets were able to claim a pretty good player. Uh, I think he's going to be thrust into the defensive line rotation pretty early on. He's going to be a special teams ace. Uh, I think so. So the Jets got a, a decent player there with some upside, but, but more than anything else, it's a very good depth signing. Uh, in fact, when he let when the Jets added him, I was I was kind of wondering if that meant Nathan Shepard or Kyle Phillips was going to go. But it seems like the Jets are willing to roll right now with nine defensive linemen, which is pretty impressive. Uh, certainly a lot, but you know, with the with how multiple Greg Williams defense is, I guess it makes some sense. And, and you mentioned Bennett Jackson; he's one of the more Excuse me. He's one of the more interesting stories, I think, on on this Jets roster immediately because he look. This was a guy who was a, a late round draft pick by the Giants. Actually, I was actually covering the Giants his his rookie year when he was picked, and I remember that because he was looking pretty good. Like he had these flashes throughout training camp where you're like, you know what, sixth round pick, not ready to play right now, but maybe there's something there. I mean, him and uh, Charles James, who ended up becoming super famous for his role in Hard Knocks with the Texans, were like two guys. That really bonded together. James was in his second year as an undrafted free agent. Bennett Jackson's sixth round pick, and it was James who was helping Jackson as a uh, safety, as a, as a corner, kind of progressing and learning the NFL. 
I remember this is like weird how you remember things, but I remember writing a story about that for one of the first outlets I ever covered an NFL team for Big Blue Interactive. So if you want to go Google that about Ben and Jackson, <laughs> and Charles James, go for it. It's I'm sure it's still up there. Uh, but but this was a guy who, who I mean he was ended up on the getting cut his rookie year, but was one of those guys who you cut and then put on the practice squad. Next year he comes back to the Giants. This was when I was already covering the Jets, so I wasn't here for this, but made the conversion from cornerback to safety, and he was in line to start for a talented Giant defense. He was going to be their starting safety. Second preseason game, it tears his ACL. Well, he then sits, that's 2015. He then sits out the entire 2016 season, right? Doesn't play. Signs with a futures deal with the Ravens in 2017. Sports hernia, out the entire 2017 season. Comes back in 2018 with a reserve future contract. Again on the injured reserve. Comes back for a third time with the Ravens, not giving up resiliency. Number one goal. And he ends up finally getting on the field this year, and he plays pretty well. 150. He was a, a training camp star. Uh, Ravens fans loved him. The Ravens team loved him. Uh, there's just tore it up in training camp. Preseason plays 115 snaps. Didn't do much in terms of like tackling and against the run, but that makes sense because he's more of a free safety. He's like the guy who's, again, former corner, so he's going to be playing further back. Think uh, for Jet fans, think Marcus May more than Jamal Adams per se. So he gets in there, quarterbacks threw his way seven times, only allowed three completions, any intercepted a pass. Uh, he's a really interesting story. Clearly, Joe Douglas uh, liked him. Uh, made some, probably, I'm sure he made some phone calls to, to some of his friends over there in, in Baltimore and, and really like what this kid turned out to be. Uh, but he's going to be a depth player behind Jamal Adams, Marcus May. And, and I think what, what's key with him is that the other safety that's in that room, Rontez Miles, uh, he's kind of more of a um, he, he's more of like a, a, a strong safety, a physical guy, better against the run than the pass. Jackson's going to give them some more depth behind Marcus May in terms of a cover guy. But as far as a story, I, I was hoping to see him in the locker room yesterday to talk to him uh, and catch it. He, he, you know, he didn't come in, but we'll be in the locker room again on Wednesday. So I'm hoping to write a story uh, specifically about his journey. So I'll have more uh, information on that probably for our next podcast when we record a little bit later on in the week, Thursday or Friday. Uh, but but yeah, he's he's someone that you know for Jet fans, keep an eye on because he's a feel-good story human interest story and it's really good to see this kid back in the nfl after how hard he's worked and everything he's had to overcome it's awesome to see him get another shot so they do add him to the secondary they didn't add a cornerback from the waiver wire although they had made the trade for nate hairston uh beforehand so they kind of did add some depth there at least but overall you look at this group of four players and you think back to the quote that we're fired up that we started the show with Mm -hmm. Is it is it a fair match? Do you feel like when you look at the players that the Jets were able to go out and get off of waivers, was Joe Douglas right in being fired up? Uh, I mean, I, as I fired up as Joe you can du- be about yeah, waivers. Well, look, Joe Douglas, like fired up for Joe Douglas on a day like this is different than probably all but <laughs> you thirty-one and other people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, this dude, <laughs> this is the same dude. He's gonna get fired up over the seventh round of the draft and undrafted rookie free agent signing because it's like his Christmas, man. He's gonna go. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> Rookies, like, let's do it. You know, so it's like he's going to go nuts over this stuff. For me, it's like, okay, the Jets added a new kicker, punt returner, and two reserve players. So I don't know if that's necessarily fired up. Like, you want to talk about first and second round picks, okay. But all right, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. So now, overall, though, it was, it was a productive waiver wire, right? I mean, it's the Jets went out there and they found a, a brand new kicker, which is certainly a, 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 a noteworthy thing. They found a brand new punt returner and, and someone that they can develop as a slot receiver. Uh, they got a, a a solid rotational defensive lineman in Franklin Myers, and and then a, a backup safety in Jackson. You know, Jackson's probably the best story of the bunch, but also checks in there as the fourth, uh, you know, power rankings like fourth in the power rankings of of the difference making that these guys are going to make. You know, assuming 
uh, Jamal Adams and Marcus May stay healthy. But yeah, I mean, look, it was it was productive. It was certainly uh, eventful. I actually thought the Jets were going to claim more guys. I thought they were going to claim as many as six. Um, I was a little surprised to see them not get in and add another corner. I thought that they were almost certainly going to add a corner and then replace Mullet or just keep six on the 53, considering the issues that they have there. Uh, I was a little surprised to see them not uh, add a receiver. I thought like a not a slot receiver like uh, Braxton, but but kind of a more traditional outside receiver, someone with a little more potential. Thought he would be. I thought they'd look to maybe do that. And the other one was a, a tight end. I thought there was a chance the Jets could add a tight end to replace Daniel Brown. You know, similar to what they did a couple years ago when they claimed Will Ty and then had him starting uh, with Chris Herndon out. Though it looks like they're going to roll pretty comfortably with Ryan Griffin, Daniel Brown, and then the rookie Trevin Wesco. So uh, I thought it was it was a, certainly productive. I mean, no no doubt in my mind that it was a productive uh, off season. But I don't know if it, or off season productive waiver wire. I just don't know if it was necessarily. Um, uh, I don't know. Like again, it's Joe Douglas going to be fired up. The rest of the world isn't. It's you're, you're never going to find all pros and starters on the waiver wire. Very rarely will you do that. No, but you add the depth, and that that at least helps. All right, before the yeah. waivers, there was obviously cut day, and that brings us to Jakai Polite, and we have to get into this story a little bit. The third round pick, obviously, by the old regime. We've talked about it. I think on every episode of this podcast so far, the chances of him getting cut or making the team, and in the end, he gets cut. Is a guy who had first-round talent. He bombed the combine. He kind of slid all the way down to the Jets at third, and and you wonder how far he would have slid if the Jets hadn't taken him there. Um, but now that he's been cut, the stories have kind of come out here, Connor, that mm-hmm. it was basically a four-month disaster. Yeah, and and look, man, we talked about that. We actually, you know, it's crazy. We talked about on the podcast a, a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago. Man, my my brain is totally off. Tonight. I don't know if we've been doing uh, the podcast. Yeah, I know. I need I need I need more <laughs> coffee. That's what I mean. We're gonna have, we're gonna take a commercial break. I'm gonna run and go refill this coffee. Um, but no, they they we talked a, a a couple podcast episodes ago. I think that's better. Um, about Jakai Polite, and and that was something that we jumped on pretty early, uh, saying I think we were we were among the first people to say it was that there was Jakai Polite was not a guarantee to make this roster that he was not a a lock to make the fifty three, and it was so insane that I actually talked about I like made the point here, and then I did a pregame hit before the Jets fourth preseason game for SNY, and as I, it was a live hit, so as I, you know, I'm talking about it, and the subject of polite came up, and I explained. I just regurgitated exactly what I'd said in this podcast. That like, look, not guaranteed a spot because the coach came out and said he can't play the run, he can't play special teams, and he's a liability in pass coverage. Uh, he's was a guy that was drafted by the last regime, and no one has like the three people that have come out here and talked about the outside linebacker spots between Greg Williams, uh, Joe Douglas, and um, Adam Gase have all praised literally every single other player for doing things the right way and how they're they're impressed with them with the exception of the third round pick he's the only name that hasn't come out of the mouth so i say he's not some some crazy like uh he's he's not a a lock to make this roster so i finish that tv hit right and i take all i take my earpiece out hand the mic back to the camera guy and there's someone I've, i have no idea who he is no clue he wasn't i made sure it wasn't wasn't polite's agent so it wasn't it wasn't his agent it was some <laughs> random person standing next to me waiting for the hit and he looks at me and goes you think he's? You think he? They're gonna cut a third round pick? And I was like, yeah. I was. I thought he wanted to have a conversation, but in hindsight, I was like, he said that really mean. That was a very mean person. <laughs> so he goes, he goes. You think they're gonna cut their third round pick? And I was like, yeah. I think there's a chance. And he goes, shows what you know, and just walks away from me. And I was like, I don't know you, but okay, that, all right, man. Like, that, that, okay, I guess that's fine. And then 
you know, I just want to give that guy, if you listen to this podcast, a little yeah. shout out. Like, I did know, you know. But, yeah, no, it was – like, that's what I'm saying. That's kind of how surprising this was, that you're going to have random people like that say things because it's like, holy cow, they cut a third-round pick. But when you really look at this thing and you really analyze it, it was just a disaster from the beginning. It was – a guy who had so many personality concerns throughout college, so many concerns about being lazy, so many concerns about just being not mature enough for the NFL right now, which is why he went from a potential first-round pick to if the Jets didn't take him in the third round, clearly because he went unclaimed on waivers, he was going to fall further than that, uh, to someone who then arrived at practice, right? He arrived at uh, he arrived at, at Jets, and, and over the course of four months, this is pretty ridiculous, Tim. I, I, I like. You, you, he racked up a hundred thousand dollars worth of fines in four months. Like, and that, these are probably absurd. small fines, right? Here and yes. there, like, you oh, were I late for practice, five thousand dollars. I texted a player, up. yeah, correct. I texted a player because when I saw it, like, I, I saw the report first come out by PFT, I confirmed it, and then I was like, okay, like, okay, he was fined a hundred thousand dollars. Later that day was when I actually sat down and started writing, like, the story for the athletic, like, for our. our comprehensive you should check you should uh, an article plug you should check this out on the athletic like the comprehensive 53 man <laughs> breakdown but when i started writing it i was like okay hundred thousand dollars in four months i was like holy crap like a hundred k in four so i texted a player that i'm pretty close with and i was like yo dude i was like out of curiosity he plays for another team he's not uh he's not a jet and i was like dude out of curiosity i was like how much do you guys get fined if you're late for a practice and he goes, uh, like, he goes, like, thir- he goes, it's about thirteen, a little under, it's like around thirteen thousand dollars. He goes, why do you want to know? I was like, well, this guy the Jets drafted got fined a hundred k in four months for being late. And the player texted me back, holy expletive. <laughs> so like that tells you like how like from an NFL player, who like what that like that sum is of of like what you can be fined for being late and stuff like that and other minor infractions that he was able to rack that up and. Yeah, I got to give uh, Andy Vasquez, who writes for the record, a little credit here because he went back and actually looked at Adam Gase's old uh, um, uh, press conferences when the subject of light polite of Jakai polite came up, and the very first one during rookie minicamp and shortly after rookie minicamp, he was asked about polite, and one of the first things he said was like, you know, he just needs to do the little things like showing up on time, and then like he named three other little things. And at the time, all of us was like, oh, he's just doing coach speak and just talking about, like, showing up on time and, like, oh, like naming all these small little things that players can do. But in hindsight, he was probably saying that after rookie camp, like, or their rookie team meetings and stuff like that, because Polite was already showing up late. Like, in hindsight, that, like, none of us picked up on that because it was like, oh, there's no way this kid who's just drafted has a whole bunch of personality concerns is going to be start showing up late right away. But apparently he was. So, look, man, when you have those kind of off-the-field issues – with the fact this is a brand new regime that has no ties to him and is trying to implement a new culture, with the fact that Adam Gase said, look, this guy cannot play the run, he cannot play special teams, and he is not disciplined enough in in the defensive uh, pass rush to be counted on, and he does not do things, quote, exactly as Greg Williams wants, well, that's when you come out and you say to yourself, it's time to just cut bait. Now, the one thing that I do I do want to add before we move on, or, or if you want to talk a little bit more on this subject, and and... You know, I asked Adam Gase when we spoke to him yesterday if the war room was divided. If the war room, when when they decided to draft Ja'Kai Polite, was divided in, in, in the picking of him and the selection. If this was something where these guys wanted him, these guys did not. And he kind of gave a smirk and a sly little remark and goes, oh, I don't remember back to the draft. Well, that's <laughs> BS. He absolutely remembers back to the draft. And he was implying that the war room was absolutely divided. That some people wanted him and conceivably... Adam Gase didn't – the way that he made it seem was that Adam Gase did not want Ja'Kai Polite because of the issues. Mike McCagnan did. 
I got to know Mike McCagnin pretty well over the last couple of months, like uh, like not a couple of months, but a couple of years. He was the Jets GM for four years. We saw him all the time for four years. He was a guy who was pretty easy to talk to at the Combine. While McCagnin had his flaws and he was not perfect, I kind of find it hard to believe that you could have a situation where the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, says, heck no, I don't want this guy. We can't coach him. The head coach comes out and says, heck no, I don't want this guy. I can't coach him. And then the GM says, okay, I'm going to pick him anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of find that a little difficult. I believe that there's a situation where maybe Gase said, this is not the type of player that I want. Or McCagnin said, well, Greg Williams says that he believes he can fix him. We kind of need an outside linebacker. I think it's worth a a, a – I can see that where two-thirds of it said it's fine. And Greg Williams was involved in in the draft. I mean, whenever there's a defensive player, you take him to the defensive coordinator and you ask him to scout. The Jets do it with special teams corner Brant Boyers too. They they take whatever players are thinking of drafting to believe they can contribute on specials, show them the film and say, hey – can we get your opinion on this? So I, I do believe that, the, I mean, any defensive player was shown to Greg Williams. I'm sure Greg Williams talked to when he came in and visited and all that stuff. So I think that there was maybe a situation. This is not confirmed. This isn't per source. This is just my opinion, knowing uh, and being around this team enough, is that I wouldn't be surprised if Gase came out and said, I don't think I want him. Greg Williams said, I think I can fix him or some variation of that. And McCagney said, okay, it's worth the risk. But if Adam Gase said, heck no, Greg Williams said, heck no, Mike McCagnin's not going to go Rambo and just draft this guy anyway. He's He does not do – that's not the type of GM that he has been or not the type of GM he's been in the past for all of his flaws as a GM. So I find that a little hard to believe that it – I believe it was probably divided, but this wasn't like McCagnin was out on his own island. He had someone else signing off on this pick. He wouldn't have done that otherwise. So I, I do want to make that clear because that seemed to pick up some some steam moving forward. Well, it's easy to blame and scapegoat the guy that's gone. And it's probably better for the current regime with Gase and uh, Greg Williams getting along if neither of them comes out of this looking like it was on them either. So uh, for the good of the the Jets, it's probably good. Yeah, at the end of the day, it was a cruddy pick. It didn't work. Like, okay, you gave up. Now, again, Polite, if McCagnin is still the GM, Polite is not cut. He's cut on this. Like, that's why I was debating with a friend who was the worst McCagnin pick. Christian Hackenberg in the second round, Ja'Kai Polite in the third. Well, the the thing, the caveat there is that Polite makes this roster if McCagnin is still the GM. Like, he, the only reason Ja'Kai Polite got cut, well, aside from everything he did wrong, the reason why he wasn't given a shot to get better is because the new GM was here. He said, no, new culture, I want this guy gone. So they moved on from him. But, like, it, who knows? Like, maybe Polite becomes something in a couple of years when all he needs to do, he has the talent, all he needs to do is mature. Uh, the Jets decided he was, he was not worth uh, that time right now, which, again, if it was just on-field questions, I'm sure they would have given him more time to develop. It was more the fact that he had all these off-field concerns as well and the fines, and he just wasn't worth it uh, for the culture of that locker room. But, you know, look again, maybe the kid gets a shot, but he would still be here if McCagney was, was the, the GM. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, it'll be interesting because you have a team in the Jets where it is a new head coach and it's a new regime and you're trying to build something and you can't have guys going against what you're trying to build. He goes yep. to Seattle now and he goes to a team where, you know, Carroll's been there for so long as the head coach and that team has been good for a while. They have leadership around. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in there where where there may be more players willing to take him aside and and really tell him, hey, that's not how we do things here. But it, it'll be interesting to see. Certainly a guy worth keeping an eye on uh, through the mm-hmm. years here, Ja'Kai Polite. And hopefully... And Winovich, yeah. the guy who well, the uh, Patriots ended up drafting a couple rounds later, I think is uh, Chase Winovich, right? That's the guy who everyone keeps tweeting me about is that, look, if, if you're... If you draft a player at a position and a couple rounds later the, or a couple picks later the Patriots draft a player at the same exact position, 
odds are you got it wrong. And everyone's going crazy. Like, <laughs> oh, no, this guy from the – he's going to be an all-pro. We missed him, blah, 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 all this stuff. Well, look, it happened before when, when the Jets drafted Quinton Copels and the Patriots a couple, a couple picks later took Chandler Jones. And Quinton Copels was washed out of the league before his fifth-year option. And uh, Chandler Jones is obviously one of the best in the NFL. Eventually traded the Cardinals. But, uh, yeah, I, w- I would say that, that the, the, the fact that the Jets gave up on, on Polite already – Bodes very well for for uh, when I believe his, I believe his name is Chase Winovich, uh, his chances of, of making it quite well over there at the Evil Empire. Well, Winovich is already getting his hair cut on the sidelines by Tom Brady, so he's uh, it's the opposite situation so far than Jack Eye <laughs> One guy is gone, and the other guy, the uh, the the goat, so to speak, is is cutting his hair on the <laughs> sidelines. So, yeah, that's yep. not not a great look. Okay, we teased this last episode, so it's time to get to it. The first edition of Cues for Hughes, and you've come through big time on Twitter with lots of questions for Connor. We're going to do this from time to time to you know, bring you in, let you be part of this podcast, and, uh, and a lot of you jumped in with questions. So anytime you have a question, fire away on Twitter. We won't be answering them every episode, but we'll certainly add them to the, uh, the bank, so to speak. Use that hashtag Cues for Hughes. Let's get to it, Connor. Starting with uh, Polly Bruce. Uh, he says, hey, Connor, first six games for the Jets will tell us what kind of team they'll have this season with a tough opening and early bye. First six game predictions from you. Yeah, man, I don't want to get too, too much into too many predictions now, just because I know we're saving that for uh, for the episode a little bit later on this week. But you, you make a great point with those first six games. I mean, it's going to be uh, I mean, it's it's basically murderer's row for the Jets. And I think that that, like you said, it, it's probably going to tell you what kind of team they're going to be um, just because of the fact that they're playing a group of teams that all of which are, are they don't have playoff aspirations. They aren't just trying to go above 500. I mean, they have Super Bowl expectations, you know, aside from the Bills. After that, it's home for the Browns at the Patriots at the Eagles home for the Cowboys at the Patriots. I mean, that is a brutal first six games with a bye week in there, uh, week four. So actually an early bye week for the Jets as well. And and I think the key there is that the Jets don't necessarily need to sweep those teams. The Jets don't necessarily need to even have a, a, a winning record against those teams. Obviously, that would be beneficial, but they don't need it. The key is that they just need to stay, uh, I would say, slightly around, slightly. They need to stay around 500. If they're around 500, two and four, three and three, something like that, I think they will be, for the most part, fine. And I say that because at the end of the year, they have some teams that they'll be able to beat up on that that uh, if they're three and three, maybe they can get themselves to nine and seven. If they're two and four, maybe they can get themselves to eight and eight, uh, maybe nine and seven as well. Because the Jaguars, I mean, it's that, that's all. They play the Jaguars then, which is all going to be depending on how you view Nick Foles. Then the Dolphins aren't a very good team. The Giants are in there. The Redskins, Raiders, Bengals, uh, the Ravens and Steelers will be tough, but then they have another one against the Bills. So the schedule certainly gets a lot easier after that six. So the Jets, those first six games, first month and a half of the year. So they just need to focus on on staying around 500. And then they can hopefully get fat on some of these worst teams. Kind of similar to what you're talking about with the Mets, actually, during this current stretch. Yeah, you got to stay tough mentally through that stretch, I think, too. Because if you are one in five, then things can tend to spiral out of control. All right, next up is Nick Anzalone. Hey, Connor, first time, long time, he says. Of the players on the current 53 which players are your MVP, dark horse, and disappointment on offense and defense? Uh, okay, well, MVPs are easy. I mean, that that's going to be Sam Darnold on offense and Jamal Adams on defense. Um, I guess if with Sam if Sam Darnold isn't the offensive MVP, uh, the Jets are going to have some issues. You really want to see him take that next step as a franchise quarterback. 
defensively, you want to say it's Jamal Adams right now, but if someone else steps up, then that's probably actually even better than the better for the Jets. You know, if Quinn and Williams or Leonard Williams becomes this team's defensive MVP, that's a good thing because you would almost rather have your your top player and, and your main difference maker be on that defensive line just because of the impact that they can make as opposed to a safety as good as Jamal Adams is. So to have Jamal Adams, who's going to be as good as Jamal Adams is, to then couple him with a potential MVP up front, I mean, that's huge. So I think that's that will be uh, so, certainly something big to watch. I think those two. Uh, dark horse offensively, I'm going to say, I don't know if he's necessarily a dark horse still, uh, but Jamison Crowder, I, I think that I, I've stuck with this one, and I'm not a. I've I've been so terrible in fantasy lately. You should probably now, when I'm saying this, avoid Jamison Crowder at all costs. But I think that guy's got a chance if he stays healthy to catch anywhere from 80 to 100 balls, uh, which will make him a, a pretty great signing for the Jets in in the slot position. So I think he's somebody that that has definitely the potential to be a dark horse candidate. Uh, he's someone that that I would I would keep an eye on offensively. Defensively, it's a little tough to say. I think Jordan Jenkins has a possibility. I think he could be in for a big year. I think that if you have Blake Cashman, who sees some role in defense, he could potentially be a dark horse candidate. Uh, but but what about Henry Anderson? I, I think he's someone who had a pretty good year last year. Jets re-signed him. They gave him some good money. But I think he's still a little bit overlooked on that defensive front. He's looked really, really, really good this summer and in the preseason I think that that's something that that he's a guy that, that could definitely be a dark horse candidate to really burst out. And, and as far as a big disappointment, it's it's tough to say looking at these guys. But defensively, I would probably go anywhere in the cornerbacks you can pick. Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, Brian Poole. Jets are requiring so much of those guys that it's going to be tough for them to meet those expectations. Tremaine Johnson probably, although Tremaine had a, had a pretty good camp, uh, the injury concerns me, especially the hamstring. I think that's the possibility for a disappointment. And then aside from that, offensively, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I've really seen it. Maybe it's tough. It's tough to say on offense. Honestly, I, I think that probably you could look at the offensive line. Kelvin Beecham, maybe at left tackle could be a disappointment. Uh, he's getting older. So maybe he steps down a little bit. Uh, Brian Winters has dealt with some injuries the last couple of years, ever since signing that contract extension, dealt with another shoulder issue this year. If those injuries pop up, he could be a disappointment as well. So uh, that's certainly some, uh, some, those would be the guys I would watch. All right, let's move on to Liam Cummings. He says, what sort of snap split do you see in the backfield between Bell and Montgomery debating grabbing Monty on waivers in a fantasy league? I think it's worth it, man. I mean, look, if you're going to stash him like the first couple of weeks of the season to see what happens, because I think if if you have uh, if, if Ty Montgomery goes off these first couple of weeks, like if he really starts playing pretty well, He's going to be a hot claim. And, and I think the thing with the Jets is that it's not necessarily a snap split. I think that's what people need to remember when you talk about Bell and Montgomery. It's not about splitting their snaps. It's not about uh, uh, this guy being on the field when this guy's not. Adam Gase loves putting them on the field together. It, it, like, I can't tell you or, or even, t- like, I can't explain how many times we saw that throughout training camp, whether it was Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, Ty Montgomery split out wide as, as an X receiver, or you have T- uh, Bell in the backfield, Ty's in the slot. Bell in the backfield, Ty is H-back. Bell and Ty Montgomery in the backfield together. There was a play I saw where the Jets actually pitched the ball to Ty Montgomery when they were both in the shotgun, and Bell was out there as his lead blocker. So this is not – Ty Montgomery's another weapon on offense. He's not Le'Veon Bell's backup. He's not a compliment to Le'Veon Bell. He's another weapon for Adam Gaze. And Bell's still going to be the workhorse. He's going to get his touches. He's going to get his uh, carries. He's going to get his catches. He's going to be the focal point on offense. But Ty Montgomery's going to be as involved – 
uh, as I would think any second, third, or fourth option on offense would be. And if the Jets' offense is as good as they believe and Darnold takes that next step and really progresses, Montgomery will do more and more and more because that's more plays, more opportunities. And as teams start focusing in on Bell, he's freed up because it's single coverage. So uh, I, I would say that, yeah, if you're looking at him, I would I would pick him up. I think in one of my leagues, I think I drafted him super late in like the 12th round-ish, 13th round maybe, just to stash him on the bench for a little bit and see if he doesn't do anything the first couple of weeks. If he does, sweet, you have a, a trade piece to deal to someone. If not, you can cut him. So uh, yeah, I, I would think that, that he's worth picking up because I think the Jets are going to use him an awful lot as another guy on offense, not as Le'Veon Bell's backup. All right, another fantasy-type question. This one from Len Nye. With Robbie nursing a calf injury and facing a murderous row of cornerback ones, is Anunua the Jets' wide receiver to own right now? No, it's, I think it's still Crowder. I, I think that's the guy. Anun was kind of – he's kind of a funky player because you got to see him really take the next step in his development as a receiver, not just a guy that – that catches a screen or something over the middle and then just runs people over. But if you're looking for someone to pick up that that's going to take advantage of, of Robbie Anderson seeing double cut. And first the calf injury is fine. He'll be back. Uh, Adam Gay said he expects Robbie to practice fully this week on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then he'll play week one, same with Tremaine Johnson. So that's not a, not too big of an issue. That that was just a minor day-to-day thing. And the Jets are being precautious, uh, pre- precautionary reasons for why he sat out last week. Um, but, but I would, I would target Crowder over uh, a nun one just because I think Crowder, especially if it's a PPR, half-point PPR league. I think that he's somebody that will um, have a little bit more value for those catches. He might not have as many yards as a Nunwa will, but the catches will make up for that. So if you're looking for someone to replace Anderson, uh, the guy I would look to is would, would be Crowder over uh, a Nunwa, certainly. All right, this one from Burley Johnson 8. Will Blake Cashman get significant playing time, or will Gason co-grab a linebacker to fill in the gap left by Awell? No, uh, it, well, it'll be Neville Hewitt. I, I believe it's going to be Neville Hewitt and um, C.J. Mosley to start. And then I think what you'll see is because Hewitt is not a cover linebacker, he's more like that bull in a china shop, lower your head, go go run people over. Uh, you'll have uh, – he'll, he'll probably be subbed out on passing situations and Cashman will come on. Uh, you've started to see now uh, Blake's gotten his legs under him again. He's, he's running pretty well. Uh, he dealt with those injuries early – or not injuries, but he had the hamstring injury, which took him off, which, again, if you're if – you're, Terrain Johnson, you have a hamstring injury and you come back, that's not a big deal. If you're a player who's played a veteran, the issue with, with Cashman was that those reps were very meaningful in him acclimating himself to the NFL because he's a rookie and a lower draft pick. Well, you saw in that final preseason game where he was all over the field, um, you saw a guy that, that looks like he's kind of now reintegrated himself into the rotation and starting to feel himself again and fully recover from that hamstring issue. So I think I don't know if it'll necessarily be week one. But I think you'll start seeing maybe after a week three, four, five, you'll start to see Cashman really working himself in there in those passing situations because he is easily, bar none, the Jets' best cover linebacker, and that's looping in Mosley. I mean, that's just what his strength is. So he's someone that, that I think that's when you'll see him him start to work. All right, apologies if I get the name wrong on this one. It's from Ankit Vora. Um, has Gase always given his players Monday and Tuesday off in a typical game week regardless of a win or a loss? I think that's pretty traditional with um, – uh, most coaches because Todd Todd Bowles had this same schedule. Monday's not a day off. That that's not it. The players though, it's the, it's a day after a game, so they just go through a walkthrough. Uh, it's a lot of maintenance. It's a lot of meetings, and it's a walkthrough. It's not uh, it's not a full practice. Then Tuesdays is usually universally a day off. Uh, that's what it's looking like. The Jets are going to do as well. That'll be their day off. Then they practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They have a walkthrough Saturday. They have a walkthrough before the game on Sunday, and then they play. So. Uh, it, that's just pretty traditional with the NFL. And then some coaches, what they'll do is they'll cancel that Monday walkthrough after a win. 
uh, is usually it's like an award for the players and, and say like guys just come in for treatment if you need treatment but then you get uh, come back in on Wednesday for practice. That's kind of like an, a reward thing. But Monday's not technically a day off because you still have meetings and you still have that walkthrough. Tuesday is usually the true day off. All right, Clifton Hopkins asks, Greg Williams, by name and attitude, is a monster, monster in all caps, but the last five years his defenses have been average to bottom tier at best with better players currently on the Jets roster. Should this be a concern for us Jet fans? No, because I, I think that Greg Williams' defenses have always been uh, historically a little bit better uh, with your eyes than maybe statistically and on paper. And, and the reason I say that is he is such an aggressive defensive coordinator. He is a guy who preaches turnovers. He is a guy that preaches getting after the quarterback. He blitzes like crazy. That when you, you run that type of a defense, you're going to also give up a handful of big plays because when you're bringing all these guys – if these guys don't get home, well, there's people open in the secondary. So what Williams, uh, what he kind of plays to his advantage is that he plays, he believes that his defense is going to make more plays than they necessarily let up. They're still going to let up plays. That's going to happen. It's happened everywhere he's been, but they'll make more plays and then that will offset the plays that they give up. So I wouldn't look too much into that. He's a good defensive coordinator. The reason There's a reason why he keeps getting hired. You saw what the Browns were able to accomplish with minimal talent until the, maybe the final two years that he, or the last year when he was there when guys really started playing pretty well. Uh, he, he's Look, the Jets' defense this year is kind of going to be what, what Greg Williams' defenses usually are. They're going to create turnovers. They're going to get sacks. They're going to pressure the quarterback. They're going to do some insane things pre-snap that have you shaking your head like, I've never seen a defensive defense do that. But they're also going to let up some plays because, again, like I said, when you blitz and you create all this pressure, that's usually when when uh, guys will find themselves open behind behind the defense a couple times. So uh, it's more just about making more plays than you let up. Williams's defenses have done that before, uh, and I wouldn't I would expect that to continue this year. The the big issue with the Jets' defense has nothing to do with Greg Williams. It's the fact that there's only so much you can do uh, with what the talent the Jets have there at cornerback with Tremaine Johnson, Brian Poole, and Daryl Roberts. I mean, there that's. That's a that's arguably the worst cornerback situation in the NFL. Uh, certainly, bottom third of the league, and and it's about now can Greg Williams find a way to mask that? I think he will be able to do that somewhat, but not all the time. And and that's that's more a cause for concern than Greg Williams is that there's, you know, if you, if you want a five course meal, you need five course ingredients, and I don't think the Jets have that. All right, final questions from N. Nirenberg says, "What's your ceiling for Jordan Jenkins this season with a monster D line? Can he break ten sacks?" I, I, you know what? I, I never thought it was it was really possible, but yes. Yeah, if if Len bring it, then yeah. I mean that means one on one. Look, the way here's here's how the Jets' defense is. Let me put it this way: This is how the Jets' defense is set up. They want to pressure the quarterback like hell up the middle. They want to get him off his spot, and they want to create quarterbacks that can't run. They want to force quarterbacks that can't really run and quarterbacks that aren't really mobile to move to the left and the right and get off their spot and have to book, uh, book it out of the pocket. And then when they get out of that pocket, that's when they'll have one of their outside linebackers waiting there to bring him down for a sack. If that happens, yeah, there, there's a if, if that happens as planned, and and Leonard and Quinnen and Henry Anderson are as good as advertised, and certainly he can he can rack up ten sacks. I mean, Calvin Pace had ten sacks one season, and he's in no way, shape, or form an elite level edge rusher. Now, the difference here is that the jet why it kind of hesitates slightly. I think maybe eight, seven and a half, eight sacks, maybe a little bit less, uh, it, maybe even six is probably could be more where Jordan Jenkins is is that he's not going to be on the field this year, I don't believe, as much as he has been the last couple of years. Uh, Todd Bowles ran a traditional 34 defense, and Jenkins was on the field all the time. Greg Williams is so multiple that the only time that that, uh, 
Jordan Jenkins is on the field is in their base 34 defense or when they're in their 34 defense in the nickel. In their 43 base, which they play an awful lot, like that 4-3 front where they have uh, Steve McLennan, Leonard Williams, Henry Anderson, and Bronson Kafusi, soon to be Quinnen Williams, out there, that front does not have Jordan Jenkins on the field. So depending how much they run that, well, that means Jenkins is off, which means he doesn't have as many opportunities to make plays. So I think that's where it can get a little uh, convoluted, where Jenkins can have a very good season without having necessarily 10 sacks. But the potential to get that is certainly there if the Jets' defense works how it is. It's just going to be a matter of, of how much they have Jenkins on the field. All right, great stuff. Our first batch of cues for Hughes, and we'll do that, as I said, uh, throughout the season here and there uh, when we think there's a good time to, to take some questions and, and get Connor's take on them. So that's going to do it for this episode. Later in the week, uh, exclusively on the Athletic app, we'll have our second episode of the week where we will dive into that Bills game, the season opener, see if this Jets team can start things off with a win. We mentioned the murderer's row. They really need to get off to a good start. How did uh, cues for Hughes work for you, Connor? I liked it, man. I thought I thought it was fun. I, I like the name. Like you, you. I got to give you and uh, and Marissa the, the credit for coming up with that. And Marissa, our producer, the the credit for coming up for cues for Hughes. I'm terrible. You can ask my editor too. That I, I can't come up with headlines. I can't come up with titles. I can't come up with those kind of like you know uh, little names and stuff. I'm terrible with that stuff. So that's all on you guys, and you guys have been killing it so far. So I, I love it. The cue, you say cues for Hughes. I was like, oh, it's awesome. It rhymes. It's everything. It's perfect. Let's go. So I liked that. I thought it came out pretty well too. All right, we'll get back to it. And if you don't already follow Connor on Twitter where you can get those questions in, it's Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. That's going to do it for this episode. Make sure you follow us, though, and every time we have a new episode, whether it's on Apple and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, or on the Athletic app, you'll be alerted. Thanks to Marissa Morris, our producer, doing a tremendous job. And we will talk to you later in the week.